The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, the Secret Empire's back, and I'm flashing back to 1974. Stephen heads for Riverdale, Rodrigo's the new guy at Wayne Security, and Matthew checks in with the champions. Plus, this week's trade paperback review delves into a painful but important part of American history with March Book 3. All this plus the kick-butt poll of the week. We've been up, we've been down, something, something, the shack outside LaGrange. So slip inside your sleeping bag, because the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 716, 716. Holy cow, we have made it to 716 issues of the Major Spoilers podcast. Right. Uh, you know, uh, And just like ZZ Top, two of us have beards. One of us doesn't. Oh, yeah. You and Rodrigo have been growing that out, huh? Well, we yeah, can't we've, help it. We've both been growing one beard. There you exactly. go. Exactly. Yeah. It Rodrigo has really enough. long. Rodrigo has enough for Matthew, too. There you go. <laughs> hey. Hey. Uh, this week on the show, we will be talking about March Book Three, the story of the civil rights movement as told by uh, John Lewis. Uh, we'll get to that a little bit later in the show, but for right now, let us get to some news. <laughs> Jimmy V is the new R2-D2. Kevin Smith says Mall Rats 2 is dead, but Jay and Sil- Silent Bob are getting a reboot, and the secret empire is coming. coming. Let's spin that Wheel of Destiny. Let's see where it lands. Oh, I think it's oh, loaded. Oh, the secret Somebody rigged the machine. Is coming. Uh, I don't know if you uh, guys are interested in this or not, but uh, a while ago, it was revealed that Steve Rogers, Captain America, is secretly <gasps> a Hydra agent. Agent of Hydra. Oh. And has always been an agent of Hydra. And we've always been at war with East Asia. <laughs> uh, but now it's all coming to a head, apparently, with uh, Nick Spencer and Daniel Acuna. Uh, taking this on, the, and it's the next big epic event with crossovers featuring the Avengers, the X-Men, the Guardians, the Inhumans. We might even see some, quote-unquote, street-level heroes unite to fight for the fate and the soul of the Marvel Universe, unquote. Mm. Captain America, secretly a true believer, is the cause of Hydra. Oh, secretly a true believer in the cause of Hydra. I thought he was the cause in of Hydra. the cause of Hydra, not the cause has of Has turned Hydra. his back on the superhero community using the trust and respect he has gained over the years. He has ascended to a position where he can enact Hydra's ideals. Oh, the death of Jack Flagg, the trial of Maria Hill, the second civil war, the alien Chihuahua Chitori. Queen. Chitori. Oh, the Chitori Queen. All of the dominoes yeah. of Captain America's plan have been laid out. And it will take only the slightest push to set them into action. This is the Secret Empire coming our way in April. Mm. What do you think there, Matthew? You seem to be the most vocal with that grunt. I think that Marvel is doing that thing again. where <laughs> The thing they haven't they stopped find- since 2000? Well, not that thing. They're never going to stop that thing. The The endless cycle of crossover madness, because no, right now we're I'm in the middle about. of Monsters Unleashed. Yeah, yeah. But for me, it's that thing where they, they try and catch on a zeitgeist or a chunk of kind of a, an expectation of the world. They try and tie into real world events, and they try and then make it into a comic, which 
is intriguing at the beginning. I mean, we see it over and over and over. We're like, oh, Civil War II, let's do, uh, let's do this, and oh, we'll do all that. But it all boils down to, and then they fight. And Marvel literally has no idea what to do with these stories or how to say anything about these stories other than just to elbow you in the ribs really hard and go, hey, hey, are you getting the things we're referring? This is kind of like that real world thing that you know about that we all know about, you know, you know. And then at the end of six issues, you'll have spent $25 and then they fight. And first of all, I read the first few issues of Spencer's uh, Captain America Agent of Hydra. Mm-hmm. I I was very turned off by it. I, I, it's a very, very grim, very difficult series to get into. And the writer's public statements about it, which basically boil down to, if you don't like it, you just don't get it, and you're not smart and cool like the rest of us, have not enamored him to make me want to come back and find out necessarily. So I'm... Eh looking forward to the point where this ends and Steve Rogers is returned to his regular self. Well, so will that a, only happen? Will that only happen if someone uh, grabs the cosmic cube and makes a wish? Well, there is a living cosmic cube out there who is a member of the Thunderbolts currently working with uh, Bucky, the winter uh-huh. soldier. Uh-huh. So theoretically, since I believe she did this or was the instrument for which this was done. I thought it was uh, Red Skull actually physically had the cube in his hand and made the wish. Well, she is the cube. Cosmic cubes sometimes take on sentience and form. Uh, Notably, you remember the the Shaper of Worlds who's like half giant scroll and half 1960s computing machine. Yeah. This girl is a living scroll not scroll cosmic cube she's the one that they were using in pleasantville uh-huh when they captured all the villains and wiped their minds and right that's why maria hill is on trial right because she basically kept Was people in of without trial and, yeah. and mind wiped them but yeah so she's out there i mean she's there and ready and captain america's best friend commands her she's part of his team so does she know all of these pieces are in play do you, do you think the cosmic cube knows that there's knows been that a change cosmic cube? no 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 knows that the that the secret desire to make uh steve rogers a hydra agent do you think that she knows that the red skull did that i haven't actually read the stories close enough to tell you i wonder maybe because it would then make sense that unless the cosmic cube has some greater greater scheme in mind in which the cosmic cube becomes the enemy. Uh-huh. That it's interesting that 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 she would allow this to play out this far. That she, uh, you know, it's almost like she doesn't have a moral compass of right and wrong, and is letting this play out to see what would happen for some greater being. Almost like uh, one of the watchers. You know, I'll, I'll sit there and observe, and maybe I'll uh, nudge things a certain way or another. But really, we just want to see people destroy themselves. I believe she does have some strange questions about morality and such. I mean, she's basically she's a kid with damn near omnipotent powers. Excuse me, with dang near omnipotent powers. And I think that she's done things, but I don't know if she did this of her own accord or mm, not. Mm. Dang uh, near sure. omnipotent powers there, uh, Roger. Omnipotent. Uh, what, Dang do you, near. what do you think of this uh, secret empire? Are you ready for another another epic event 
Uh, probably, seeing as how I skipped the last twenty or so. That's true. You haven't. I don't. I don't. Since, uh... I don't think. Yeah, I, I think the last uh, giant, the last crossover I quote unquote read is when I accidentally picked up an issue of Siege, which <laughs> was like ten years ago. Yeah. Atlantis attacks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, yeah, don't much care for it. It is interesting because I, I didn't know much about it until you guys started talking about it just now, and I'm like, man, I really, really hope that Bishop just saves the day. Right. <laughs> it's like any anytime somebody pops, goes like pops out, screams pops at Steve Rogers, time, come with me if you want to live. Yeah. Like anytime anything <laughs> like this happens, you just got to assume there's going to be like a very confused dude with an M on his face, like wandering around New York City. And eventually he's going to get things right. I, I am. I mean, the headline that I wrote over at Major Spoilers really is kind of telling because <laughs> it seems like Yay. Marvel Marvel has has. And this is pretty harsh, and I don't mean this to be like I hate Marvel, but Marvel used to be called the House of Ideas, and now it's just one. Yeah, the House of a, Idea. It, it, well, it's <laughs> it's now the House of Idea on constant repeat. It, it's like that top forty channel that has to play uh, the number one hit fifty times an hour, or someone gets fired. And to be honest, I don't mind that we have a big story arc in something like Spider Man where we have all the Spider-Mans from all the multiverses coming together. And that's a story that happens inside Spider-Mans. Sure. But when Captain America is going to be, oh, well, there's going to be an Avengers thing and an X-Men thing and an Inhumans right. thing and all these other things. The it's Champions like, thing. it's like, okay, uh, do we really need another mega wide company event to tell a story? Well, and that's the thing. And as Rodrigo it's said, not, well, as Rodrigo said, he doesn't know anything about Captain America beyond a hydrant agent except what we've discussed on the show. So anyone who's not been reading this is going to be totally out of the loop. And that's, I, I think that's the thing. The, the big crossovers are not about the ideas. They're about the sales. They always sell. And I feel like if you actually look at some of the stuff Marvel has said, they're like, yeah, we're not doing heroes versus heroes. That stuff's old, and we're going to have real villains and real heroes. And I'm like, but the leader of your villains is Captain America. No, 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 don't, don't look over there. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Marvel's thing is really hyping us up for this so that when it comes out, like Civil War, like Secret Wars, like Age of Ultron, like all these other stories that a lot of us complained about, a lot of people went, these don't make sense, or you can't read your books without reading these, or these stories themselves aren't coherent without source material from other places in the universe to fill them out. All those arguments are mooted by the fact that they keep selling. They're the number one books every you know month or twice or three times a year now. And yeah. I don't necessarily blame Marvel for finding a publishing strategy that works, but I think that this one feels particularly cynical in the way that it's being put together because again, they are, they're really trying to make this feel like, I don't know that it's somehow tied to current political so, events. So I and wonder though, is me. that your, but see the thing is uh, people say, get your politics out of comics, but politics have always been in comics. 
Sure, and I'm not worried about politics being in comics. I am all for comics having politics in them. Uh-huh. One of my favorite stories features Steve Rogers punching the crap out of Richard Nixon. Yeah. But what it comes down to is have something to say about it other than and now they fight. And I think that's going to be my biggest problem. You know, again, I'm predicting without having seen the material, Uh but I'm predicting based on what they've said, what we've seen and how the story's gone so far that we're going to get into this and it's going to turn into a thing. And for a few months, you're going to have to read everything. Oh, I think I know what's going to happen. Right. Here's here's what I think is going to happen. We are going to have, you know, all these things happen and then they fight, as Matthew says, we're going to see Steve Rogers with his hand out pointed, like you see the Red Skull say in previous issues, attack or or, or Cobra or whoever, right? And swarms of oh, Hydra agents God. are behind him running across the battlefield. And on the other side is the combined might of the Marvel superhero universe all ready to go in on the action, except for those that don't want any, don't want any of this bub who are standing on the sidelines smoking their cigarettes in the, in right. the shadows, right? And so, then suddenly so. Cosmic Cube is going to have a revelation. Kobik. Whatever her name is. Her name is Kobik. And she's going to fall down and she's going to scream, no more! Mm-hmm. And, th- and then we reboot the Marvel Universe. They just rebooted. No, I mean a serious hard reboot of the Marvel they Universe. Nah. We're, go- we're going to get uh, the House of M basically all over again with a hard reboot. So the House of M is in effect, y'all. I I, I I think that might happen. Might. It might. I don't know. I'm probably wrong. I mean, seriously, I'm wrong. And if it actually happened yeah. that way, wow. Talk about a one-hit wonder that Marvel keeps going back to again and again. <sighs> I don't know about this. I, I just feel... I feel drained when I hear about these big epic events. And I don't know if I should. Well, they yeah. may not. They may not be for us. They may be for I don't the know hardcore how, fans. Maybe the young folk. stellar leader in the comments said, "I really hope after this event they let the Captain America has always been a Hydra thing die once and for all." Someone would have to tell me though, because there's no way I'm going to read this thing. So maybe it's just not us. I, I've seen a lot of people when this article went up earlier this week. A lot of people responded to me on Twitter, just like, "Oh my God, are they still doing this?" Can it end? I don't want another crossover event. I'm tired of this stuff. I wonder why the heroes have to fight. Why the heroes have to fight each other. There's an interesting conversation we have this week on Zach on film where we look at a movie like sneakers. And this is a movie that we're, we're watching. And I try to draw this parallel of at what point did movies about the government suddenly come from the government is doing some bad things against other people to the government is doing bad things against us. And it's not necessarily Watergate, but it seems to be that there's no big enemy after the Soviet union collapsed in the early nineties. And it seems that's about the same time when heroes have to constantly fight heroes in a major scale. Well, that is part, I mean, for the longest time, the argument was heroes shouldn't fight each other. And I think in today's society, in today's expectations, 
that's seen as naive, that people would have, you know, no reason to ever conflict. And if you look at what they tried to do with Civil War, with Iron Man and Captain America, and later Iron Man and Captain Marvel, they really tried to make it feel like something that was a two-sided coin. Right. Yeah. Not Shades of Grey. Because... Well, ever since the earliest days of comics, people have been doing the hoodwind, you know. Sure, okay, yeah. So Batman and the spider. Right, right. Are of course, we, we have the major spoilers poll of the week. It's all about that. Sure. Exactly. But what it really comes down to is within those stories, as stories have gotten more metatextual, those things have crept into the story and the question of, well, they wouldn't normally get along. Why shouldn't they have a big fight between the heroes? Well, there's no saying they shouldn't. I mean, they can, they should once in a while, but when it becomes the main thing and the villains are, are like secondary attractions or in the case, you remember when the hood was running like this huge army of supervillains and they were all basically schmucks. They were all spear carriers and jerks and, yeah. and uh, Netsuke and none of them did anything. None of them right. could do anything because the heroes were fighting each other. Right. That's because we've gotten into that, that kind of thing. So, I think that they should, we should be able to have conflict between the heroes, but you also can't have it be the only thing that happens. And I don't think that Marvel editorial has quite gotten to the second part of that message yet. DC is slowly starting to turn the ship. They've had a lot more, they've had a lot more books that introduce political messages in different ways. They've had a lot Mm. more books and, and, um, I really got to say this last week on Finally Friday, which is our live call in show that we do every afternoon, Friday afternoon at uh, 3.30 p.m. Central. There were a lot of great phone calls last week from people who hadn't called into the show in a long time. And (sighs) several of the comments were DC seems to be getting it. They seem to be telling interesting stories that aren't about an event, that they are trying to engage us in different ideas and different ways of thinking and different stories that are just good. And uh, one of the callers was just uh, mad that he was going to probably cancel his Marvel subscriptions just over the uh, the digital comics fiasco that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. So maybe you're right, Matthew. Maybe Marvel needs to listen for a change. I don't know. Rodrigo, is that what they need to do? Do they just need to listen? Uh, maybe. Um, honestly, uh I mean, Matthew brought it up earlier, like you can't really blame them for sticking to a tactic that sells. Really, what needs to happen is for the management to be like, okay, we could be selling more if we were going after a different market, right? Rather than trying to grab onto the market that you already have, Mm -hmm. uh, just desperately. And, um, you know, Marvel has been there. Like, really, that's what the Marvel movies did in a lot of ways. They kind of looked at each property and said, what kind of movie does this want to be? Um, and that's something that can be done with the comics too, right? They yeah. can look at Captain... Like, if you think about like the big successful like single property events of the past few years in Marvel and DC, that's kind of what they've been. They look at Captain America and said, well, Captain America should be like, let's try Captain America Captain America as a spy thriller as opposed to him, you know, punching uh, purple things on the moon. Um, Let's have him be involved in this like deep conspiracy. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that got us the Captain American store, Captain America stories that are now the movie stories. Right. Right. Um, 
you know, same thing with anyone. Uh, what should Iron Fist be? Iron Fist should be like a crazy kung fu story, like from like a, an actual like supernatural seventies like kung fu nonsense is like, and that was hugely successful. Um, and you know, it's like it's what kicked off the like cosmic Marvel stuff. They mm-hmm. got them away from superheroes. They were like, well, what should this thing that involves like Ronan the Accuser and like the like all the Novas and Rocket Raccoon? What should this stuff be? It's like, well, it shouldn't be a bunch of guys sitting in their base waiting for a bad guy to attack. It should be a, a space opera. It should be Star Wars. It should be Star Trek. It should be something else. Um, so Marvel has been there before, but then what happens is they're like this exact formula work. And then we got 17 volumes of annihilation, right you know? So it's like, they'll just like beat a formula to death until it finally does not yield anything. There were what four different, like four, like three sequels to earth X. Remember when we did yep. earth X, oh, you guys, yeah. mm-hmm. earth X, Thanks. universe X, yeah. paradise X, Purgatory X. Yeah. Uh, I mean, come on, guys. Like, seriously. It's like, was that, could that possibly have been necessary? No. Was there more stories to be told there? No, actually, regardless of what you think of Earth X, it fits itself into a very complete story. Mm -hmm. And it was as successful as it was partially because of that, because it said, what if this was the Marvel Universe, executed that, and again, regardless of what you feel about it, um... It 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 did that. It just told that story. Um, I think to a certain degree, that's what that's why Spider Man and the Spider Man family of titles are successful right now because they're like, hey guys, what if four Spider Ladies and Spider Man and Miles Morales all hanging out together, you guys? And everybody was like, yeah, let's write that. You know, I, I think that's kind of what's made that successful. It's a formula that we haven't seen in a while. And it fits well with Spider-Man, with the character of Spider-Man and with all of these, mm-hmm. like, spider characters. Um, you know, it was like, it was the same thing with the X-Men. Like, everybody was like, whoa, what's up with these X-Men babies coming up from the past and yelling at their future selves? It's like, it was weird. It was unique. And they're still here, right? Like, those characters, it yep. wasn't like, it was successful enough, but they were like, well, let's keep all the baby X-Men around. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and now there's, like, Two type like two of the same X Men in every team. Yeah, you know. So uh, every once in a while, Marvel will hit on these ideas that are good. Like somebody goes, "Holy crap! This is either comics nonsense in the best possible way, like past baby X Men coming up, or like there being seventeen different types of Spider Guys, mm-hmm. um, or just like." a genre that hasn't been explored in a while in Marvel comics, like a spy thriller or a space opera. Mm-hmm. Um, but these big events are rarely it really. Even annihilation wasn't it because it had to establish all the characters. Cause those characters hadn't been in, in circulation for decades. Right. You know, it's like nobody remember, like only the, the most uh, nerdiest of nerds remember those characters when annihilation came out. Hi um, there. Yeah, exactly. I so, was like, Star-Lord, I mean, I, sign me up. I definitely didn't. The only character I knew from Annihilation was Super Scroll when Annihilation came out. And I was very disappointed because the Super Scroll issue was bad. Um, but anyway, uh, nerd stuff aside, uh, well, we wouldn't have 
a podcast. Anyway, what I'm getting at is, uh, yeah, Marvel gets into these moments where they hit on it and then they don't move on from it. They just keep hitting it until it dies. Yeah, that is unfortunate. I, I guess we'll we'll have to take a wait and see kind of approach. Although, uh, you know, some people like Matthew may uh, decide to not even open up the pages of the Secret Empire. Uh, some people yeah, no, may yeah. be curious and some people may just say, eh, I'll wait uh, eight months and then it'll happen all over again. And some people will say, hey, this is the new hotness in the Marvel Universe. I have to know what's going on. And that's cool, too. Usually the only the only good thing that tends to come out of these is that um, sometimes the writers will have pet characters or characters that are kind of neglected and get a lot more treatment. Right. It's like. Um, I'm not mad about Amadeus Cho kicking around the Marvel universe. I'm not mad about like, you know, all of a sudden seeing cloak and dagger some more or seeing like the, um, slingers come back or any of those crazy characters that, you know, again, like the guardians of the galaxy now a major motion picture soon to be too. Um, it's nice to see old characters get like popped back up that way, but that's about the only thing that I like about these major events. Yep. Listeners, if you want to find out more about uh, what's going on over at Major Spoilers, head over to Majorspoilers.com. Check out some of those links, some of those reviews, some of those other things that are cool that are uh, going on over there. And while you are over there, click on that Amazon button. I know you've got some shopping to do. Uh, every time you go over to uh, Amazon via that link at Majorspoilers.com, you buy something. doesn't matter what it is. Maybe you need to buy a, a, a new uh, PlayStation and you're trying to get in line for that Nintendo Switch. Buy it through that Amazon link. It's not going to cost you anything extra. A little bit comes back our way and allows us to keep this show going week after week. Just for you. 716 of them. Wow, that's pretty cool. How about we do some reviews? Oh, yeah. right. Uh, out this week from Archie Comics is uh, Archie number 17 from Mark Wade with art by Joe Isma or Isma. 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 Looks really good. I got to say that. I mean, if you remember uh, Morning Glories, Matthew. I do. Imagine I don't seeing, remember any of the story. It was just like Imagine what? Imagine seeing Veronica Lodge and Cheryl Blossom done in that style. Wearing wow. wearing modern day quote unquote high school girl clothes. Oh wow. This is a pretty good story. Uh, um apparently in last issue issue, which I hadn't read, um Veronica's father bought out Cheryl Blossom's uh factory, kind of in spite. And uh, that meant that Cheryl had to leave the p private school, and now she's heading to Riverdale to get her revenge against Veronica. And the best way she thinks she can do it is by seducing Archie Andrews. <laughs> well, as of a, course. As a secret admirer, she sends him baseball tickets. She gets uh, him and Jughead uh, free food at Pops. Um, I forget what else they do. Oh, get a whole bunch of cool things uh, uh, for, for Betty, like a, a toolkit for Betty, a new guitar for Archie. Doesn't doesn't work out. I mean, there's no way. I mean, uh, Cheryl goes in to finally seal the deal with Archie, and she just can't because he's she's like, oh, you're such a loser. There's no way I could ever be into someone like you. It's kind of a little sad ending for Archie. I mean, this is really more of a Cheryl and Jason. Or is that his name? Jason Blossom? Uh-huh. Uh, issue in that Jason is trying to convince her, why are you doing this? There's no reason to do this. And Cheryl's just like, here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to get... Uh, get his friends Jug Handle and Betsy and uh, we're going to, they're going to be mine. And then I'm going to do all these other things. And meanwhile, we flash back to Veronica who's trying to get out of her Swiss uh, uh, private school 
early by getting all of her work done ahead of time, which is kind of interesting, too. I mean, typically when I think of Archie, I don't think of, for whatever reason, I do not think of Veronica as studious. I do not see her as an academic. And she is busting her butt to get the work done and literally doing it, not conning someone else to do it for her. So I'm kind of impressed with the way that Mark Wade presents our characters in this book. If you're thinking Archie 17 is a book you might want to pick up because you've seen that Riverdale show. No, this is a different Archie. (laughs) This is a different Archie. No, wrong, bad. This is also not the Archie that that I've talked about before that I call your grocery store Archie, the ones that you pick up in the digest form at the checkout counter. Uh, This is the zombies. No, and it's not the one with the zombies. This is a very interesting take on teenagers. Um, in that Archie kind of trope. I mean, uh, there's, yes, there is some silliness in this book. I mean, Archie is rolling down a hill inside of a jug of, inside a giant, uh, container of molasses. So yes, there are some shenanigans from, from classic Archie days, but I think Mark Wade understands it. I think Mark Wade gets it. I think he's trying to, to write character driven plots and inject humor where humor needs to be and really create some. Some real characters, not just, you know, lines on a page. They actually feel like real people you may run into. Or they may run into you. I don't know. Hopefully they don't run into me. Well, you know, Archie is out of control when he rolls down that hill in a giant barrel of uh, of molasses. So watch out. Like you do. Yeah. Like you do, right? But Archie 17, it's a, it's a fun series. I think it is still just as strong as it is at issue 17 as it was when Mark Wade kicked off this new Archie universe in issue number 17 one. 17 issues ago. Yes, 17 <laughs> issues ago in issue number one. I say pick it up. I think it's I think it's refreshing. I think it's a nice change of pace. I think for people that, uh, again, are stuck on the grocery store Archie or who uh, don't like the, the Riverdale Archie, this is something kind of in between. This is your, this is the Dawson's Creek of Archie without getting it too sappy and weird. So go check it out. I'm, I'm giving it four out of five slices of meatloaf. Go check out Cheryl Blossom. Go check out uh, Archie. Go check out Veronica. It's a good issue. That's out this week from Archie Comics. Matthew, what do you have for us this week? I got me a comic book from Marvel Comics. Okay, all right. was out last week. All right. Champions, number five, featuring Gwenpool, because apparently She's Deadpool the hot stuff, is right? hot. Yeah. Right. And Gwen Stacy, uh, as Spider-Gwen proves, is hot. So Gwen Poole altogether, combined with the champions, is hot. Speaking of hot, this issue opens with the firebombing of a mosque. And this is a really kind of strange that this this came around in the same week as our trade paperback review. Because it's kind of touching on a lot of the same subject matter which is uh, a little disturbing for me. It's been a very uh, stressful day for reading. But we begin with a a mosque being firebombed and a clearly culpable sheriff uh, waiting to see what happens before he actually lets the firemen come in and stop the flames. Uh, Fortunately for the people inside, the champions are here, minus Spider-Man. So Cyclops, Nova, Ms. Marvel, and the totally awesome Hulk have arrived. And, of course, being young and idealistic teens. Oh, and Vivian Vision, who is my new favorite character ever. Being young and idealistic teens, they immediately start clashing with this hard-cased sheriff. 
who threatens to put them all in jail. And, of course, he's dealing with a Hulk. It's a comic book. You can't do things like that. But they discover that the thing that actually set off the bomb, the incendiary device, came from the stores of the sheriff's office. And, of course, they're trying to deal with the fact that this is clearly an unpleasant situation. This is clearly someone who is corrupt and behind it, but they also can't find a way to get him out because the people of the city love this guy. And then Gwenpool shows up and it gets really disturbing. Um, I'm not really sure how to, to explain this other than to just go flat out and say, this is an offensive book in all the right ways. There are terrible people saying terrible things, making terrible racial slurs, uh, attacking people, beating people, lighting things on fire. And the superheroes in the midst of it are trying to find a way to address this. And Gwenpool is like, oh, this is a comic book. I know how this works. These guys are all mind controlled by the Serpent Society or the Secret Empire. And the more that they try to investigate this and try to do something on a human level, the more Gwenpool comes in and goes, nope, this is clearly mutants. Mutants with pow... No, wait, you guys are mutants. Okay, never mind. But it's funny, and it's funny in a very dark way. And by the end of the issue, one of the deputies is finally able to step forward and say something. And, of course, Gwenpool runs off into the night, having realized that maybe it's not... John Sublime or Zebediah Kilgrave or Mesmero mind controlling the people of the city. It's just, you know, sometimes bad influences happen and bad things happen to people, but it's really a little puzzling, but in a good way. Um, I'm going to go with three slices of meatloaf for champions. Number five, like we said, you know, when you try and touch on, social issues when you try and touch on these things you really have to have something to say and this issue has something to say something important and something actually smart to say about whether or not a superhero can just go in and beat everything up and punch it and punch it and punch it and the answer is nope so definitely i would check it out i think that wade and ramos and I'm not a Ramos booster, but I really like the way the art looks of this issue, too. Cool. Wade and Ramos are doing really, really good work with champions. Yeah, just like they did way back with Impulse back in the day. <laughs> well, sure. That was 25 years ago. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that, Matthew. Uh, Rodrigo, I kind of shared my thoughts on Powerless uh, last week on um, Finally Friday, <laughs> for episode one at least. I've not seen mm-hmm. episode two, but I saw a promo today that was incredibly mm-hmm. racist. <laughs> I don't know if that's in episode two or not, but please share your thoughts on powerless over at NBC. Uh, so yeah, powerless, uh, as you may remember is a show that is a DC, uh, comics show, um, where there is a Batman and a Superman, although they don't show up here. Um, but it's supposed to take place in the DC universe. It takes place in charm city, which is, um, another city, another fictional city in the DC universe um, where a lot of superheroes run around and destroy things and wreck the place. So um, our main characters work for uh, what is it, Wayne Industries or, or Wayne Security, mm-hmm. which is a company that's trying to um, that is trying to keep people safe from superhero battles. <laughs> um which is a good idea. Um, so our main character is Vanessa Hudgens, um, who you might remember from 
TV shows. Um, and also stars. She was, yeah, I think that's how she got her start. Um, it also features uh, Danny Pudi, Alan Tudyk, and uh, Run Funches. Three guys that I think are hilarious. Um, so I, I felt like this show had a lot uh, going for it um, to begin with. Um, it wasn't the best thing ever, but I don't think it's as bad as, as I've heard people say that it is. Uh, really what it is, it's a very, very by-the-numbers office comedy ah. with, with superhero <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. With superhero stuff thrown on top, yeah. like as as a light sprinkling, basically. It, it's funny because Matthew and I had this exact same conversation, <laughs> yeah, last week, and I said it's just yep. like The Office, and it's just yep. by the numbers, by the numbers uh, office. I I don't know. I I don't even know that it's. I, I mean, yeah, I guess you do have like the ridiculous boss, but uh, mm-hmm. even The Office kind of had its own attitude towards things, right? Yeah, like this is. I don't know. My my like, my thing was, or like any 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 job sitcom, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like Parks and Rec, minus. My thing is, it's too cornball. That's my biggest complaint. If they dial back on the cornball, then the show would actually be, I think, fairly solid. No. Yeah. The so your protagonist is this. A uh, lady who is very, very positive. She is like, I'm going to have it all. Um, kind of like a way, way more done up, like Liz Lemon. Um, who then um, basically butts heads with her staff, right? Um, it, and I don't know. It's like, yeah, the, the situations are very... It's like the first episode is new boss comes in, everyone resists her. By the end, there's kind of this like, oh yeah, we we kind of did it together. Let's let's not fight 100% of the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the second episode is like an HR thing. It's like, oh yeah, she uh, tries to get HR to uh, like cut out their internet. Um, so. Then they, she gets them mad at HR. Then it comes out that it was her, which is, I think, literally an episode of 30 Rock. Like, I remember that episode of 30 Rock. <laughs> um, so it is just, like, so standard office sitcom, which is weird. Like, I, you know, I've seen two episodes, and so far, neither of those two really use the potential weirdness of a superhero show uh, or, or there being superheroes around as anything that drives the plot. And it's mm-hmm. like, you could replace creating products of, of like uh, for superheroes um, or against superheroes with um, anything like this company could do anything. They could manufacture airplanes. They could be, right. For example, military contractors, and then you'd have, you know, Better Off Ted, which is a superior show as far as that. I mean, literally, Better Off Ted is like a charismatic boss with crazy um, R&D department having to deal with upper management that doesn't get it, right? I mean, it is the same show, except Better Off Ted was better. 
Um, there's nothing wrong with it. Like, um, it's just, you know, maybe the superhero stuff is enough to get the majority of its audience to see it as something fresh, um, yeah. as something new and interesting that the office sitcom isn't necessarily doing uh, very often. But so far, it really hasn't shown that. It's okay. There's nothing, like, I, I wasn't disappointed about anything. I got a couple chuckles out of stuff. Um, again, I feel that it has a great cast. Yeah. You know? Um, so I'm, I'm just, generally speaking, I wasn't even really disappointed by it. It's just, there's not much there. It's like, I basically watched an hour of... Um, an hour of any office sitcom and I was, you know, appropriately amused by the end of it. I will say one thing though, is that the intro is excellent. I love the intro to that show. It is like that. Uh, the open is just them using the fact that this is an actual DC comics license show in the best possible way. Yeah. Um, so, if nothing else, if you're not interested in the show, I recommend that you at least go on YouTube and try to track down the, <laughs> the open for Powerless because it's really cool. I really like it. Um, and, you know, as a huge bonus for nerds, like, if you can name the issues that it references, then good for you. Um, so, I'll give it two and a half slices of meatloaf. There really isn't anything wrong with it. Maybe in a lot of ways... Um, it's shying away from real superhero stuff because of budget constraints. The superhero things that we do see are TV stuff, oh, right? It's, it's uh, worse than TV stuff. It's like um, FX Network in their first year of, of X, FX. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it that, is. they uh, were doing that horrible um, X-Men show. Yeah. Um, so, oh, uh, Mutant X, right? Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. Anyway, um, so, but yeah, it is just not great. Um, and it's weird to have that commitment to do DC superhero stuff and not have the budget to back it up or at least not have the graphics to back it up. And yeah, there's like a train crash in it and it looks okay. Again, it looks fine for TV. Really, I'm, I'm more looking at like the superhero outfits yeah um you know that you know in like uh, aqua teen hunger force where like anybody will drop like literally anything like a stapler and it'll just explode yeah and it's always the same explosion i, right. I kind of had that sense when i was watching it yeah so yep. again really nothing wrong with it two and a half slices of meatloaf it's it's an average thing i'm more than willing to keep watching it especially as i'm like folding laundry or whatever since it's on on demand uh on hulu um yeah i don't, I don't really have any issues with it all right cool listeners you can head over to major spoilers a bunch of reviews over there of course and also you will find the major spoilers poll of the week poll of the week this is an interesting one this is one i've been thinking about for a while it comes in, comes in <sighs> What is the best comic age? Got something there caught in your throat, Matthew. You might want to get a drink of water. That or take your CPAP machine off. I find your lack of faith most discourteous. What is the best comic age? 
I mean, there are pros and cons of each. I mean, you can't say, well, we wouldn't have the modern age if we didn't have the golden age. You can say that. Yeah, you It'll can. just be fatuous bullcrap. Oh, okay. So what, what do you think, Matthew? What is the best comic age? And we're defining the comic ages as, we're not talking the platinum age. We're starting oh. with the golden age, 1938 to 1956. The silver age, right. 1956 to 1970. Yes. The bronze age from 1970 to 1985. Arguably. Yeah, my argument is, and from what I was looking up and, and seeing other feedback on that delineation mark of 85, 86, is either the start of Watchmen, right. the uh, start of Dark Knight Returns, or right. Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah, I would argue either 86 or 89, but 85 is legit. Okay. Then we have the Iron slash Dark Age from 85 right. to 2004. Some people, I've always this called it the Copper Age. Some people call it the Copper Age. Some people call it the Image Age. Uh, some people uh, say that there are like three different uh, ages in, inside that. Yes. Yeah. Some and people then we, need to get out more. And then some people just say, hey, after 1985, everything after that is just simply the modern age. But for Those our discussion, for our discussion, we will say the modern age runs from 2004 to the present. Yeah. So what do you got? That sounds Andy? about right. What do you got? Well, I think the perfect age for comics is probably 23. So what oh. was 23 years ago? Oh, no. See, and this is a tough one for me because I have, I feel like I don't have a particular tie to any one of the ages because I try really hard not to be the guy who's like, I love comic books. I totally read Green Lantern three times a year. I want to have a basis in all of these. So I've read a ton of Silver Age comics. I've read what Golden Age comics I can afford and or get my, my hands on, and I love those. I kind of grew up in the Bronze Age. I really entered comics in the Bronze Age, and even those dark days of the 1990s in that uh, Copper slash Dork Age. Chromium those are all great. Age. Yeah, the Chromium Age I hear a lot, too. And modern comics have gone places that I never expected comics to go and they've done things that I never expected comics to do when you know reading 30 cent issues of I don't know champions off the shelves but for me it really kind of fell to what's the best age well that's a completely subjective justification and so subjectively I'm gonna go with the bronze age that's that's my wheelhouse that's where I'm from that's the moment where I'm like, I sure do want to do a retro review this Sunday. Is this book from 1984? Yes, uh -huh. it is. Maybe I should go to another year for a once. Yeah, no, I think but, we yeah. can. I think we can keep uh, retro reviews in the Bronze Age for another couple of years. Oh no, no, you can't do everything. Or Silver I mean, Age. Well, you know, one of those two. You go back to the Golden Age. I can. Do yeah. Zippo. Zippo's first appearance is out there. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Rodrigo, what about you? Do you have a Do you have an age that you consider? the best time period of them all for comics. Yeah, it, it is. It is a, it is a difficult question because it's not, they all build on each other. Right. right. Like we wouldn't yeah. have, it's like each age is like, uh, both influenced and informed and like almost a, a direct, like, yeah, screw you to the previous one. <laughs> um, so yeah, without the, Without the Golden Age, you wouldn't have the Silver Age and so on. Um, 
it's also difficult because there's great stuff in all of them. You know, there's great stuff in the Silver Age. There's great stuff in the Bronze Age that is good specifically because it's not Silver Age stuff. Right. Um, so it is like it. This is this is a very difficult question. Um, for me, I would say probably. Um, assuming that I have my timing right, really, it, it's kind of the Bronze Age because both the Golden Age and Silver Age really kind of created this superhero chokehold on comics. Uh-huh. Um, we went from having, you know, and, and also th- not not because of superhero comics' fault, but also because of other um, things that were going on uh, in publishing and in, in, in the country as, as a whole. Um, really, we started seeing comics be equated with superheroes. And it wasn't until kind of the end of the Bronze Age that we got major, like, the the major companies really going out of their way to create sort of like your vertigos. And um, it wasn't until the very end of that or the beginning or, or uh, into the Iron Age that, like, Image and Dark Horse and all those guys really kind of stepped up out of those shadows um, so it was kind of like the Bronze Age, uh, as far as I can tell, sort of this moment where people said, yeah, 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 superheroes and like darker superheroes and like um, more conversations involving superheroes, but also not superheroes. Right. Um, so, you know, and that leads us to what we have today, to comics like Bitch Planet, to comics like Saga, to comics um, that, that are like Hellboy, that are not directly superhero comics but are informed by that comic uh book history um so i I think that's kind of what got us here um and and i'm happy for it i um i I was gonna go with the bronze age too because you see a lot more social issues being discussed i mean you have Mm -hmm. the um uh, green goblin reborn issue where you know you got uh, uh dealing with the heroine and the comic code authority. And we yeah. see green lantern and green arrow going on their, their quest. Um, but uh, the, the bronze age also shows the, the rise of the comic book sh- shop. But for me, the iron dark age where I got into comics mm. was an explosion because you had dark horse coming around. You had the image coming around. You really, as Rodrigo said, you had independent comics reaching a, mainstream respectable status and it wasn't just superman and batman and spider-man um you also saw the and it's a fascinating story i i think i will try to bring on two guests in the future to talk about it um this moment in in 1986 i want to say where diamond comics became the de facto Mm. uh, comic book distributor even though the Marvel, uh, what was it? Marvel diamond or whatever that they had before was still around, but uh, there's so much going on between 85 and 2004 that to me really defines a maturing of the medium that I just simply find fascinating. And so for me, I think right now the best age of comics is the iron slash dark age of comics. I don't know, man. There's a lot of crap in there. There is, there is a lot of crap. Thing. But here's the There's thing. a lot of crap in every one of them, too. If it wasn't for the Iron Dark Age, we wouldn't be aware of a lot of that crap. A lot of that stuff would never have hit a comic book store, would never have hit a newsstand. 
Well, and and that's that's what's important about this, right? It's like what really has named these ages really is that superhero comic. Right. You know, why is it called the Iron Age? Why is it called the Dark Ages? Because superhero comics were so dark. But oh. you have stuff like uh, Strangers in Paradise coming out in this era. You have um, yeah. stuff like Love and Rockets coming out in this era. You have all of these independent things that aren't um, that aren't superhero stuff. Right. And so that's that always has to be tempered that way, right? I mean, it's kind of the same thing in the Golden Age. You know, it's like we talk about Golden Age comics, and we're not necessarily talking about cowboy stuff. Right, right. But that's there, too, you know? It's it's interesting. And same thing with, like, space stuff in both the Golden Age and the Silver Age, right? Yep. Um, so it, it it is interesting because I, I feel that the non-superhero comics always really get swept under the rug during uh-huh. these discussions. Uh-huh. But... They're hugely influential. They're very important. Superhero comics continue to be influenced by non-superhero comics. Yeah. You know, know, 10, 20 years later, we're going to, you know, like 10 years from now, we're going to see a comic where superheroes are like, let's just do sex criminals all over Mm -hmm. again. You know? Yeah. A few comments right now. Uh, Malone says uh, there are good things in every age. But all in all, comics have never been as good and diverse as they are right now. I still prefer some things from my childhood and youth over most things going on right now. But I realize it's just me and my nostalgia. Uh, Doug says, this was a tough one for me. I have a special love for the Browns and Iron Ages of my youth. But I think the modern age is the best overall. It's interesting. Not a lot of comments this week. I mean, we have some votes. Uh, I thought that there'd be more people weighing in on this. Because, Matthew, what is the best age of comics uh, by, uh, by our voters. 27. No, <laughs> right now, uh, the modern age is as I expected in the lead at 34% with the bronze age right behind them, two or three votes behind at 32%, uh, silver and iron kind of dark ages are tied at 14%, the golden age at the bottom at 5%. I really expected this to be everyone saying the modern age, because honestly, this is what you get is, Hey, What's the greatest Batman movie? And 50 people will tell you the last one I saw. And I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing. Everybody sees something for the first time. But I'm kind of heartened to see the Bronze Age having this strong a showing. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, uh, it'll fluctuate as more people head over to Majorspoilers.com and cast their vote in the Major Spoilers Poll of the Week. Vote with us. I, uh... I was irritated this afternoon. Mm. I mean, just in a funk, in a foul mood, grouchy. Mm-hmm. And it took me until just a little bit ago to realize why. Yep. I was because <laughs> you was, read that book. I was angry and upset because I read March, book three by John Lewis, Andrew, Aiden, and Nate Powell. Uh, you know, uh, you know, John Lewis, he's a senator in, um, in uh, a representative now. representative. Sorry. And uh, under a lot of flack in the last couple of months, especially because he decided not to attend um, the president inauguration. Mm-hmm. But what a lot of people don't realize is his involvement in the civil rights movement. And so March, and again, there are three volumes of this. Uh, this has been released over, I want to say, the last four or five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is the culmination of the civil rights movement. And it starts off. Brutally, it starts with the bombing yeah. of the Baptist church and the, and the death of the, 
of the children yeah, in the fall of 1963. Children. And it carries you all the way through to uh, the Johnson's uh, signing of the amendment. And uh, even to today with uh, John Lewis meeting Barack Obama during his inauguration. And this is, I mean, if you think you know what the civil rights movement uh, was, if you've, if you've seen the, the documentaries or you've seen the, the made for TV movies, or you've seen the movies with Kevin Costner and, and whatnot, those are harsh, but man, March is brutal. And it, it will put you very difficult. And I think it puts you in a bad mood for the right reasons. Because yeah. you're sitting there and you're reading it and you're like, how could this happen? How could these things be allowed to happen? Why would America allow itself to do these things? And without trying to make a political statement about what's going on now, there's a lot of what's going on in this book that you can reflect on and be angry about. Yeah, there there are very disturbing parallels. And, and it's not I and it's not is... it's not the intent of this book is not to say where America is now is just as bad as it was when I was in the, running the civil rights or was involved with the civil rights movement. That's not what this book is saying. It's just weird that those parallels are there. Well, well the, the the thing is though is that they're not parallels. Like the ages of comics Everything builds on itself. Right. Right. So things are different, but certain things haven't changed. Um, you know, there is still a lot of problems. It's just that a lot of those problems aren't as overt. Right. The same causes of those problems still exist. They haven't right. been addressed as, you know, systemic issues in the American justice system, in American politics. So just the basically, um, you know, the, the, the civil rights movement was this huge process to treat the symptoms of something deeper in the American system. And we're still seeing now slightly different symptoms of what was going on back then yeah. because we still haven't really fully addressed them. Right. Yep. What did you think, Rodrigo, when, when you read through this? I I mean, I enjoyed it. I thought it was because it was this kind of ground level, um, very honest look at um, at the movement and, and basically from a single person's point of view. Right. right. Um, we in this book, we see Martin Luther King and in this book, we see Malcolm X and we see a lot of other activists um, kind of cross through. Uh, um but then sometimes they just go away because they weren't involved in whatever was going on in uh, Lewis's life. Um, so uh, it is interesting to get this like one consistent viewpoint because usually when you do see a documentary or you see even a movie, there'll be all this hopping around to give you like right. this broad sense of what was happening right. or um, what happens a lot of the time is they focus on the tragedies, right? And there's plenty of, plenty of time given to the big, you know, human rights abuses and, and terrible tragedies that uh, sort of shape the movement. Um, but it's not just that, right? There are quiet moments, there are happy moments, there are hopeful moments as well. Um, because there are the moments that are being lived by an actual person. Right, right. right. 
Matthew, thoughts, reactions to to reading this? It was, like I said, it was a very difficult read, but it was difficult in in the challenging way. It was something that you wanted to finish, that I yeah, wanted yeah, to yeah. finish. Not necessarily because, you know, obviously it, this is some material that I think we've covered before, that not on this show necessarily, but it's something that I'm familiar with. I haven't done in-depth study, and I certainly wasn't aware to the level that uh, Mr. Lewis writes here of all of the things that happened. You know, we kind of have that broad stroke view of history. Right. And to actually break this down, this book takes place over the course of, you know, several months, two years, and seeing these things happen and then seeing unrelated things happen. uh, the, The assassination of President Kennedy happens during these pages. And the effect that that has on John Lewis and his movement is part and parcel of the story. And it's something where you kind of piece all of these things that you've heard together into something that this man actually lived this. This is one of the survivors of these moments that are pivotal and in many ways terrible. And you can't not be fascinated by this. I mean, I've always said that comics can do things that no other medium can. And this book to me is an example of it because the art style is very loose. The art style is very kind of what I refer to as that black and white independent comic style. It does have that. So it, but it's so evocative and it's so good at getting across moments. It's getting across emotions and Mm -hmm. really putting you in that, that thought process of 1964, well, you know, even the oldest of us was not yet born. No, 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 no. And that's what I find most fascinating is that, yes, growing up, we did hear a lot about the civil rights movement because it just happened within a decade right. of of when we were being told about it and talking about it. And uh, so I, you know, but oftentimes we see the story from the Martin Luther King point of view or we see it from the Malcolm X point of view, but very rarely do we see it from one of the other six members points of view. And so that's why I find this very fascinating because it does reveal some details and it is opinionated uh, because it is John Lewis telling the story. Um, So I, but I do find that kind of fascinating going back to the art really quick. The thing that, you know, when I was reading this, this, I was like, um, okay, so it's black and white. There are a lot of, there's a lot of empty white space on the page. Um, You know, there's a lot of space that's not being used. Um, But then I realized that, this is the perfect way to convey uh, the art in this issue is in black and white because, and this is this weird thing. A lot of us, when we think about world war two, we think of world war two as a time when everyone lived in black and white. And some of the most powerful images that we see from the civil rights movement, from someone getting a hose turned on them to lunch counter sit-ins to beatings, to the March across the, the bridge at Selma. We see those in black and white, even though there have to be color photographs of all of those events out there. But because of newspapers and black and white television, that's how it's presented to us. So to me, this being in black and white and in that indie spirit, as you were talking, Matthew, seems more in line with the general public awareness of, you know, what we remember from that time period, whether it be from a textbook or a newspaper or an old TV thing. So I thought the art was was really wonderful from that standpoint. Very well done. Very, I mean, 
there's a crudeness to it that is very evocative, but there's also moments where it's perfect clarity and you'll see, you know, a facial expression and it is just solid, amazing quote unquote acting on the part of the, of the artist. And I forgive me, I don't have the artist right in front of me. Nate Powell. Nate Powell does really, really great work on this. And I think what's most amazing to me is you can go from a moment where it's broad daylight and people are meeting and then you immediately go to a night scene and everything is pitch black uh-huh. and it's almost like it's it's done in white ink on the black. I just I love that. I love the effect of the art and the transitions in this story. Uh, Rodrigo, did you uh, what were your thoughts on the art? Um, I thought it was great. I thought um, it, it is difficult because it portrays like 200 people and 200 right. distinct uh, historical personages, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but it does a really good job of sort of letting you know who's who. You know, right. when you see uh, what Lyndon Johnson, uh-huh. mm-hmm. um, when you see. Um, which Kennedy is it that we see in this one? Well, we hear from uh, Ted Kennedy, but we see Bobby yeah. Kennedy. We see right. Bobby most, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, Malcolm X, whatever, you know, you, you know, Martin Luther King. These are people that you recognize from textbooks, from uh, pictures of the time, and they are simultaneously well-rendered enough that we can tell who they are, but also it doesn't break the style, right? We never go into like a super photorealistic Martin Luther King. Right. Um, probably the closest we get is like a couple shots of the president. There's like, I don't know, it just really seemed to me like uh, the artist being like, well, I have a lot of reference for this guy, so I'm going to give him a few extra wrinkles here and there and yeah. just make it look like extra, extra good here. Um, but I, I thought the art was really strong. Yeah. Yeah. Just the whole, the whole book. And this is a, this is a long volume. It's 200 and some pages long. Um, but very well worth it. And I thought I had the first two books here because, uh, major spoilers has been around since this series started. And I know somewhere I have a thing from IDW or top shelf saying, Hey, the, the third volume of March is coming out. Here's a, here's your chance to read the first two. And I thought that they sent us those first two, but I cannot find them in my collection. I know I did accidentally delete a whole year's worth of comics by accident. So it may what? have been in that. I know it was a stupid Probably. thing. Uh, believe me, it's a whole different story. But um, if you're going to buy any of them, I'm sure the rest of I'm sure the other two books are just as good. But this one really culminates and really sets off what led to uh, the big march um, in in Alabama. And I I really think that this is a, this is a required reading book. I I would love to. I wish I had the funds. I would buy this book for, I think maybe it's too much for middle school, but I would certainly encourage it to be put in middle school and high school libraries uh, and use as a point of discussion because I really think it's, it's that good. I think that the kids would be okay with it. I think that the parents and the teachers would probably have... I think teachers more would, issue with I it. think teachers would be a little bit more open-minded, but there is strong language in this book. Um, a lot of racial slurs, as you might expect in this book. Yep. Um, but I, I, I think the teachers would be okay with it at, at both the middle school and high school area. 
but I don't see the parents buying into that. Rodrigo, what are your thoughts? Is this a required reading book? I think it should be. I think this is a great, um, definitely high school level book. I think um, I remember taking a civics class when I was in high school and we just kind of read the newspaper and discussed current events. You know, Uh uh Um, I think there are history classes and I think there are civics classes that could use this as part of their text. Um, especially since it's a, like, uh, first person account, right? Uh-huh. Um, it, uh, and it gets into a lot of nuance, um, and it does all these little things where you can see, like, okay, well, here are the issues so this gives you this like really strong like pinpoint in history uh-huh. um, that students can latch onto and relate to um, as as you see the story unfold. Yeah, I just uh, I mean we don't need to go into a lot of detail about what goes on in here. I mean this is this is history. Yeah. You are reading a history book in comic book, graphic novel, however you want to say it, form, and it's it's really wonderful. So uh, I guess bottom line for me is. March Book 3, which just came out in the last month, is a must-read book. Uh, this is something that, you know, don't borrow this book. Uh, don't, uh, don't uh, you know, go check it out from a library. Actually own this book and read this book. And, and honestly, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a book that you could read multiple times over the course of a year and get something different out of it each time you read it. And so for me, this is a... It's a big thumbs up must buy book. It's it's March book three from John Lewis, Andrew, Aiden and Nate Powell. Matthew, what are, what are your final thoughts on this? A lot of times you will see movies or television programs that are designed to tell you about history. You know, I think about some of my favorites as, as much as I was bored during Ken Burns Civil War. I learned a lot during it. And I really loved the Muhammad Ali movie with uh, Will Smith from about 10 years ago because it puts a personal perspective. And again, a personal perspective of a filmmaker, but a personal perspective on these events that we've all read about. I love that this book is able to do that. It's able to take those historical events and put them in perspective from the perspective of someone who was there. This is a man who actually participated in these events and was there as it happened. So you also look at it and you say, okay, is everything here going to be 100% the same as history? That's not necessarily the point. The point is this is his account of all those things that happened. And those moments are incredibly powerful. I say this is an own it. I actually went and bought a copy today from comiXology just so i could have a copy to go back through and read yeah without the big idea the watermark on without it. The yeah. Big, yeah that's the thing about the watermarks you know they're they're great but there are certain books that i want to get the experience of and this is one yeah and we you know we've talked about cover prices before this is 275 pages uh-huh. for i think i paid 9.99 for my digital oh really copy. because that, i th- think the physical copy is 29.99 yeah, this is a really, really good book, and I recommend getting yourself a copy and reading it and really thinking about what it's trying to say. 
Yeah. And maybe taking those messages to heart in ways that you might not if you're just reading about here is the timeline of events that happened from 1963 to 1965. Yep. Rodrigo, bottom line for you? Um, I know a lot of people that would greatly benefit from reading this book. Um, so if you're someone who cares about civil rights, if you're someone who sees themselves as a... Uh, as, as wanting to make a positive impact, um, you really should probably own this book and let as many people borrow it as you can. Because this is a, a very honest, very raw account of what happened. Um, it doesn't pull any punches. And this is a subject in which punches should not be pulled. Right. So I say definitely own it. Excellent. There you go. Uh, three three owns from a major spoilers. Uh, you can get this, uh, as Matthew said, at Comixology. There's a link in the show notes to the Amazon uh, link where you can buy this. Um, it's from IDW and Top Shelf, which I believe is, I don't know if that started as an indie company and then was uh, brought into IDW or if, if they created their own indie label inside of IDW Publishing. Uh, but definitely go check it out. This uh, this is book three. Now you can get all three of the volumes uh, collected together in one slipcase edition, which I think is like fifty bucks. Which again, still might be totally worth uh, the price. I'm going to bet it is. Um, but uh, go go check this out. Uh, thank you, Matthew, and thank you, Rodrigo, for joining me this week. It's always good to uh, have you guys both on the show. Uh, and uh, thank you, listeners. Uh, I think that wraps it up for this this week's episode. Thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. If you thought this episode was worth a buck, a buck an episode, uh, we could use your support. Head over to Majorspoilers.com. There's a Patreon link there, or you can just go to Patreon.com slash Majorspoilers and sign up over there. Uh, It's a great way to support indie podcasters. It's a great way to say that you want uh, shows like this to continue, and we could certainly use your help to offset costs. That's major Patreon.com slash Majorspoilers. Read all about it. Find out all the extras you can get. Someone was very interested the other day, uh, Rodrigo, when I said that uh, at the, uh, I think it's the $25 level, you get a free print each week designed by our uh, our friend Alex Diacon. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, the, and the January one is a great Zach on film one. Uh, I've seen the one for February. It's also going to be uh, really nice. You can find out more at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Always good times. Thank you both. And we will be back next week because we know that you love comics. We do too. And we will talk with you soon. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the Man of Steel. I'm gonna rearrange your face if you continue to debate whether Logan's claws could pierce Steve Rogers' shield. I just couldn't care less if they bring back Craven. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. 
Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.